The Madonna mic. Don't worry, I won't do any dancing or anything. Hello? Great. Yep, 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 ringing. That's okay, we're all right. I'm just going to put my slides up there, Chris, at the back. Come on. Great. Okay, I thought I'd start with a bit of a bombshell of a proverb. The tongue has the power of life and death. What do you make of that? Hmm. Tongue is not referring to, guess what we heard this morning from Dave, um, as we prayed for that young man. Well, we do pray of the power of life for that young man. Uh, but it's talking here about what we say. And I think it would be difficult to disagree. I've got a book here called Speeches That Have Changed the World. Like many books I own, I obviously haven't actually read it. Uh, but flicking through, you'll know quite a few people, you know, Gandhi, etc., Martin Luther King, Winston Churchill. I thought I'd read a bit of Churchill. I don't think I'll be able to do it justice. But listen to this. Hitler knows that he will have to break us in this island or lose the war. If we can stand up to him, all Europe may be free and the life of the world may move forward into broad, sunlit uplands. But if we fail, then the whole world, including the United States, including all that we have known and cared for, will sink into the abyss of a new dark age made more sinister. Let us therefore brace ourselves to our duties and so bear ourselves that if the British Empire and its Commonwealth last for a thousand years, men will still say this was our finest hour. It's powerful, isn't it? They're like fighting, you know? Those words stir. And other people in this book, they've impacted the lives of many people. Started wars, finished wars, huge social change just through largely the influence of their tongue, their words. I had to have some words with my eight-year-old son the other day. I had to have a little chat. He was acting very silly. We were sort of trying to pray together and wasn't having it. So, you know, I just sat him down and started talking to him. I said, you know, there's a time and a place to be silly. You know, blah, 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 all that. And at the end, he looked at me and he said, that was a very important speech, Daddy. <laughs> he says, I can't remember a word you said, but it was very important. I think it's uh, safe to say my name might not appear in this book. <laughs> you probably say the same about yourself. But I trust we all know that this proverb still very much applies to us. You don't have to be eloquent to shape lives. Although I don't speak like Churchill, my words will affect my eight-year-old son's life. And this Proverbs summarises well the passage we're going to look at today. It's found in the book of James, and it's about the tongue. It's a famous passage, about our words. And this series that we're in is about relationships, and nothing is more profound in our relationships than our words. 
So how has your tongue this morning? How has your digital tongue been this week? James wants to help us. He invites us to stick out our tongues. My dad's a doctor, used to be. You sometimes wonder, why on earth do I need to stick out my tongue? What's that got to do with my health? But you learn that the condition of the tongue can indicate another issue. And just like our tongues can tell you something of our physical condition, James here in this passage wants us to look at our spiritual condition. And I pray that as we do, we will see how we continually need more grace, more of the great physician's touch. So let's read it together. I'll put it up on the screen. I've divided it into three chunks because when you see a big chunk of scripture on the front there, it can be uh, pretty daunting. So we're going to read through this. There's a lot to say about the tongue, as I'm sure you know, but we're just going to stick in this passage this morning. So James chapter 3. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. We'll take ships as an example. Although they're so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants it to go. Likewise, the tongue's a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. It's a challenging passage, isn't it? In fact, James is a challenging book. It's quite a short book. It's only five chapters long. But one of the big themes, actually, in James is good works. You've probably heard that before. Faith without deeds is dead, he says. Practice what you preach, and we, and we like to hear that. But here, that's actually chapters one and two in the book. And the fact that your, your actions need to reflect your words. But here, as we come into chapter three, he's saying your words need to reflect your actions. Your words need to match who you are as a Christian. So be careful to watch over your tongue, particularly if you're in the business of words, if you're someone who instructs others. And that's how he starts out here. He says, not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers. James is talking primarily to those who have been quick to announce themselves as teachers of God's word. Yet they weren't mature. They can't control their tongues. Perhaps sort of unaware of the impact of their words. And many of us teach in church with our children's groups and Bible studies and care groups. 
It's great. And we instruct at home with our kids, or even outside the church. If you're a teacher, Helen, my wife's a teacher, as you know. We've got some teachers in here, probably enjoying your half term, I'm sure. But wherever it is, it's good to be aware that our words matter. When Helen goes back to school next Monday, the words she uses in that classroom will impact the lives of those children. What comes out our mouth changes lives. That is, that's great. It's an encouragement, and it is sobering as well. You are judged more strictly when you teach. Even on a human level, we see that. Let alone if you claim to teach God's word. And throughout the Bible, God brings severe judgment on those who claim to speak his words, but don't. That's why Paul is so hot about false teaching. We looked at that in, in Colossians a bit. That's why we should care. Because Imagine the damage one bad teacher can do. I'm not talking about bad as in, you know, sort of boring or mumbles a lot. That's too many sort of PowerPoint slides. I'm talking about someone who teaches wrong things, who disguises or twists the truth. Whole cults have been built on those things. Churches have been emptied. People hurt. Deep disappointments of false things promised. All because of words flowing from the pulpit. Perhaps you've been affected by that. Be careful what you listen to. That's all of us. What we see on TV or online, we should not simply embrace everything we hear. However convincing, however brilliant the preacher is. That's not a call to be cynical, by the way. Something I do battle with. That's not a call to be cynical. Let's not be naive. Teaching is responsibility because the tongue has power. And so as a teacher, you should seek to keep your tongue in check. That requires maturity. It's the, the word he alludes to here in, in verse 2, the perfect man. It means the mature, a complete man. It doesn't mean you have to be perfect. Thank goodness. He's already said, actually, we stumble in many ways. And I'm reassured by that. Particularly as it's James who's saying it. He includes himself in that. We all stumble in many ways. Do, we, do you know who James is? James apparently is the half-brother of Jesus. Which made me think, if we just think about that for a moment, he would have grown up for 30 years around Jesus. Seeing him mature, watching him. His conversations with visitors. Hearing how he spoke. And then you listen again to James's words, perhaps with a bit more tenderness now. We all stumble in many ways. I've seen perfection, my brothers. A perfect man able to keep his whole body in check. I asked our window cleaner his thoughts on the power of words this week. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, I said to him, no words, just action. No. He said, uh, he didn't. I asked him, I said, what, 
he said to me, he said something very uh, insightful. He said, well, it's often what's not said that's just as powerful. And he's right there. That's a sign of maturity. He says, not only knowing when to speak, but when not to speak. And that applies to all of us, doesn't it? Not just teachers. James has urged us already in chapter 1 of this book, he says that not everyone should be, well, everyone should be slow to speak and quick to listen. And that is just a great piece of advice. Imagine that. On Facebook, on Twitter, slow to speak, quick to listen. Beautiful. Drop in another proverb, a fool finds no pleasure in understanding, but delights in airing his own opinions. And he comes on to some great illustrations, verses 3 and 4, they're like little proverbs in themselves. A horse being controlled by a bit, and a ship being controlled by a rudder. Something so small, yet has such great impacts. Controlling mighty things, and that's the picture he's wanting to give here. I was kind of thinking about this, and I don't know if he's Miri here. Has she gone out? I understand that Miel rides horses. Is that right? Now, if you know uh, Miel, 10-year-old girl of June and Miri's, lovely, beautiful, sweet girl, quite petite. Now think of the size of a horse, of its height, its raw strength and power. How it must tower over Miel. Yet just through a small bit in the horse's mouth, she's able to command and control it. That's the kind of picture, that's what James is saying the tongue is like here. Its effects far outweighs its size. Martin Luther King, in his speeches, he steered whole groups of people away from violent protest, restraining those powerful urges to retaliate. His tongue led to actions. And that, in a sense, words are action. They can guide and affect and direct. Perhaps in our lives, we've known the direction given or helped by words of others. That's so important to recognize. However insignificant we think our encouragements are to someone else, to the kids upstairs, to relationships within here, they've got great impact. And the emphasis here is also on how our own words influence ourselves. And I was wrestling a, a bit with this here. I was wrestling with the whole passage, to be honest. But through this passage, you can hear the words of Jesus, can't you? Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. That it's from within, isn't it? The heart is the driver of life. Yet we see a, a different angle here in this passage. It doesn't contradict that, but it suggests that the tongue plays a, plays a role. That our speech informs and reinforces the direction of our hearts. And what do I mean by that? Does that mean whatever comes of our, out of our mouth will happen? Some people say our speech should always be optimistic and positive. That we shouldn't express any negativity or doubt. You need the power of positive speech in your life to change your life. Sounds good, but I'm not sure. That would exclude many people from the Bible, in fact. Where are you, God, cries David? 
Why are you downcast, my soul? Why so disturbed within me? And think of Jesus himself, how he expressed his anger sometimes and his sorrow and distress. I think just speaking positively isn't always the answer. It often doesn't express the shape of our lives because life isn't always positive. For many, life is hard. And if, as Christians, we don't have the language to reflect that, we can be seen to be disconnected or don't have difficulties ourselves. Yet, having said all that, how we speak to ourselves is important. David, again in the Psalms, he says, My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you. Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope for I will yet put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him. He's speaking to himself there. He expresses how he feels. He's not denying the situation, yet he speaks back into his heart. He reminds and reorientates it like a, like a rudder guiding a ship through life's storms and waves. That's what we do when we, that's what we, do when we speak and sing those songs. Guide me, O thy great Jehovah. Song of praises. These are the songs we sang this morning. I will ever give to thee. You're speaking to yourself there. Lift up your heads. Lift up your heads, the giver of life. I surrender all. Now, not that all our worship song is directed at us. Of course it's not. But yet, sometimes to speak and to sing to one another and into our own hearts is a sign of how much we need it. So that's the first four verses, the power of the tongue. And then James moves on to the verses 5 and 8, the destruction of the tongue. That's where it goes downhill. Let's read it again, actually. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by, a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals have been tamed, but no man can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil, full of deadly poison. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Doesn't seem to quite capture James's verses here, does it? Perhaps we could do a more biblical version of that rhyme. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words are like a fire which can penetrate your soul and devastate those around you. <laughs> that Capture that? Not sure it would catch on in schools and that. But there we are. I know that's making light of it, but uh, some, of our, some of us here are still affected by words which are spoken to us years ago. Do we think that that language James is using is a bit overdramatic, maybe? Notice he doesn't say that the tongue can sometimes be like a fire, that it's usually placid and neutral. He's saying, left untamed, it's wildfire. It's a world of evil, he says, full of deadly poison. I think I'll study on James. It might be, you know, Hitler in this book, maybe. It's a bit excessive to talk like that, no? Of us? I was, a train. I was on a train one time. I was probably in my mid-teens. And this guy, a 
big guy was just staring at me the whole time I was on there. You know, the kind of stares that you just knew, that, you know, this, this, isn't, this isn't good. And as we got off the train, he came right up to me and, and said something like this. He says, are you, are you Tim Coleman? I said, uh, I said, yes. He said, you and your mates ruined my childhood. You made my life hell when I was growing up. I don't think James's language is excessive. Didn't recognise him. Got no real recollection of what I did. Must have been words though, no? Stupid comments, teasing. Little put downs by the popular kids. Just little sparks. Mark Devere, an experienced pastor, says this, it's like a cigarette flicked out of the window into a dry forest. Have you ever seen the devastation caused by a forest fire? Have you seen someone who's had their reputation trashed by a single accusation? It's a horrible thing to see. Loss of jobs, a marriage, a home. We should think carefully before we speak of someone else. He carries on, are you sure... What you're about to say of someone is true. Do you need to say it even if it is true? Is it helpful, useful? Does it build others up or tear down? That's an experienced pastor speaking there. How about another proverb? Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. And there's both in that proverb there, isn't there? The ability to bring life or to bring death. And that's the tension we see now actually in the final part of the passage. The inconsistency of the tongue. We've had the power of the tongue, the destruction of the tongue, and now the inconsistency of the tongue. James, James doesn't let up, does he? Newspapers like a story of inconsistency, don't they? A story which exposes someone saying one thing in public and saying another in private. Undercover reporters recording and exposing what people have said or people who leave their microphones on. Do you remember Paul Gordon Brown when he was Prime Minister? In the general election, he met with some voters and one lady asked him some pretty awkward questions and he got back in the car, he put his microphone on. I can't remember exactly what he said. I think he said something like, oh, you bigoted woman. Or something like that. Would anyone here like to volunteer to have their private conversations played over the PA system this morning? If you had the ability to listen to the words we spoke this week. Anyone? Not me. With it we bless, he says, and with it we curse. Out of the same mouth. How can this be? How can our words, something which clearly marks us out as a Christian, often the biggest evidence of Christ's work in our lives, how we praise him, how we talk about him, yet at the same time it can demonstrate the complete opposite. How can this be? In fact, he says that. My brothers, this ought not to be. Even nature doesn't demonstrate this. Salt water can't flow from fresh springs. You don't get strawberries from banana trees. You don't get figs from olive trees. You know that. 
and even into chapter 4 and keeps going. Craig mentioned it last week, in fact. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from the desires that battle within you? And here, just like at the doctor's, when we stick out our tongues, it reveals something within us. And here we have a problem because when we're talking about what's within us, our desires, how do we change? It's more than behavior. You know, in a series like this, it's tempting to talk about behavior, to be honest. You know, these are great topics. We've had healing hurts. Sally did healing hearts. Healing hurts. Hearts, even. (laughs) Had forgiveness. I think that's coming up. Conflict from Craig last week. Speech. All important in our relationships with one another. Yet there's a danger we just end up giving relationship advice. You can get plenty of relationship advice from Waterstones. And don't hear me wrong, sermons should connect and speak into our everyday lives. If it doesn't, then, well, use your tongue and tell the, sp- tell the speaker. Use your tongue well. But the Bible is ruthlessly practical. In fact, a lot of the books in Waterstones reflect its principles. I trust you've seen that this morning. But the Bible also shows us we need more than advice, more than an example of how to live. It tells us we need a saviour. Because no man can tame the tongue. What does that say? It says we can't do it. We acknowledge what's within us. We see it for what it is, our sin, and we turn towards God and see him and how he is. That's repentance. You know, repentance isn't just something you, know, you say when you do things wrong or at the beginning of your Christian walk. You know, I make a mistake, I, I say bad things, therefore I repent. Repentance is a posture. You know, we don't walk around with our heads saying, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but it's a daily acknowledgement that my way is not the best way. That I know, left to my own devices, the way I speak is fundamentally bent away from God. And instead it's turned in on myself. That left to itself, my tongue does not praise God. It praises me. It says, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me, look at me. However well-mannered we think we are as an individual or a nation... Isn't that the noise we hear all the time? We don't just need an example, we need a saviour. And Peter, in the next book, along from James, combines it so well. He says, Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. All the wounds that, all the words that I have used that have wounded others, he took on himself 
And knowing that freedom, my desires within begin to change. That I might die to sin. There's still a battle. You know, I'm not the mature person I want to be, the, the perfect man, but I'm not the old man I used to be. I know Christ, I know Christ is, is working in me. That I'm not alone. He's given us his spirit. You know, up and down the country last weekend, churches celebrated that fact. It was called Pentecost. A day when tongues met a different fire. Yeah. That's great. That's good news. There's a lot we could say about that, but as Christians, we believe God continues to give us his spirit to empower us, to work through us. So we can be encouraged that we are not alone. So as we've stuck out our tongues this morning, how is your tongue doing? Individually and corporately? Do we want evidence of the Spirit's work amongst us? James would ask, how's your tongue? It's challenging, isn't it? But let's seek to bring life and not death amongst us. As we come to communion, I think Sally's going to lead us in communion. We can perhaps... Reflect on these things and maybe actually you've heard my tongue for a long time now. Maybe we have a couple of minutes of quiet before you come and lead. It'd be great.